Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Scientist, futurist, author Stephen A. Schwartz is a distinguished consulting faculty member of Saybrook University. He is a columnist for the journal Explore, editor of the daily web publication SchwartzReport.net, in both of which he covers trends that are affecting our future. And for more than 40 years, an experimentalist, he has been studying the nature of consciousness, particularly that aspect independent of space and time. He's part of a group that founded the Modern Remote Viewing Research Program and is the principal researcher studying the use of remote viewing in archaeology. Stephen, welcome back. How are you? Hi, George. How are you doing? Good. Looking forward to this. Everything fine? Family good? Yeah, we got through the pandemic pretty well. No problems. Very glad that that's true. Well, absolutely. Let's talk about a lot of things with you tonight. But tell me, consciousness, how did you get involved in this aspect? Well, I had a series of experiences, and then I had a a series of very strange coincidences which introduced me to the Edgar Cayce material, and I started reading them and eventually read all the readings and that got me to read science, and I read everything that had ever been published in in a science journal about consciousness, and also many books. And in '68, I started experimenting. Is consciousness part of the brain or outside of the brain? There is an aspect of consciousness that is not physiologically based. That the issue is the continuity of consciousness. That is. Does consciousness exist prior to incarnation, during your life, Mm -hmm. and does it continue after after your corporeal death, after physical death? And the evidence, I think, is overwhelming that that is true. If it is true, that tells you a lot about the ability to use it and how it works. Yes, I think once you begin to recognize the idea that all consciousness is interlinked and interdependent, And that's where science is headed. And the most interesting thing going on right now in both science and in the popular culture is that about 15 shows on, you know, Netflix, Hulu's, Stars, Showtime, deal with the issue of consciousness. And at the same time as it's happening in the popular culture, also there are a number of uh, societies scientific societies which are starting up um, because researchers increasingly, however they may start in their their point of view, eventually confront the reality of consciousness in their research, and that's changing the nature of science. Can we use our own consciousness to tap into something and use it for our own abilities and good things? Yes. Yes. In fact, if you think about it, every religion starts with a single individual having a consciousness, a non-local consciousness experience. And you think about it for a minute. Jesus goes to uh, be baptized by John, and um, he goes into the desert, and he meditates, and he awakens. Uh, The Buddha, hundreds of years earlier, goes to the heritage of... uh, uh, Arata Kalama, and he's taught to meditate, and he awakens. Uh, Muhammad goes to the sacred cave of Hira and meditates, 
in 610, and uh, he awakens. So all of this begins because a single individual has a non-local consciousness experience. And if you look at religious ceremonies and spiritual practices, if you strip away the dogma and the scripture, that's all the man-made part, and you look at how they operate, what you discover is that uh, it's about allowing yourself and teaching yourself how to open to this non-local aspect of consciousness. That's why meditation is such a significant and universal activity in every religion. I want to come back to consciousness, and there's a tie-in with this, with all these incredible UFO reports that have been happening so much. Why do you think they seem to be coming out like crazy? Well, I, you know, if you think about, if you think about uh, UFOs or, or uh, UAPs um, and the way they behave, you realize that they are acting very much like cultural anthropologists studying a primitive tribe. That is, they don't intrude into people's lives, but they are constantly monitoring what's going on. I mean, the, the, the good news, I guess, is that if they wanted to, if they had malicious intent and wanted to conquer us, I mean, it would be easy to do. Anybody that can do space travel wouldn't have much trouble conquering a civilization that couldn't. So I don't think that's what they're doing, and I think the reason that we're seeing more and more accounts of UFOs, uh, UAPs, is that they are watching us because we are at two crossroads, or we are at a crossroad of two parts. On the one hand, we're developing technologies that are literally destroying our world, and we now have the capacity to have a war that would destroy our world, and at the same time, as a result of the technological choices we've made, we have, in, we have provoked climate change, which is an existential civilization-threatening activity. And I think they're watching us to see how we're going to behave and the choices we're going to make, because I suspect that no matter which culture you're talking about on which planet, there comes a point when they may have to make a choice whether they are going to go to destroy themselves or whether they're going to reawaken and understand that all life is interconnected and interdependent. What happened to that old galactic saying that they're not supposed to get involved in other civilizations? Well, they don't really. I mean, you know, now we have the ability to monitor them, but the fact is, uh, you don't see any embassies landing, you know, and and uh, uh, and more than that, and very interesting, they may also be helping us. I, I've always been struck by the abductee stories, you know, and people describing how they're probed in their genital area. Because years ago, a, a, a very famous writer named Arthur Kessler and I had dinner in London, and I, he was we got to talking about UFOs and, and what they were doing in the abductee because we both knew uh, uh, people that had been involved with that. Mm -hmm. I was a good friend with uh, John Mack. And, and uh, Arthur said to me, you know, it may be that about 40,000 years ago, they manipulated us genetically so that the high brain, the midbrain, and the reptilian brain coordinated better, and that really is what gets Homo sapiens started. 
So it may be that they're both monitoring us and in a non-intrusive way trying to help us to become more conscious of the fact that we do not have dominion over the earth. We are actually part of a matrix of consciousness, and we do not dominate it. We are simply a part of it. And until we learn that, we continue to do things which are destructive of the matrix. Yeah, there's no question that we probably could have been seeded by them, Stephen, and they just come back every once in a while to see how the progress is coming along. Yes, absolutely. But we don't know exactly how life got started. So you really, you know, that's exactly right, George. I mean, it is interesting to note that they are behaving the same way cultural anthropologists behave when they study tribal groupings. You know, they go to the edge, they don't uh, intrude themselves, they observe, they develop relationships with a few individuals to try to get an understanding. I'm just very struck by, particularly recently, because there have been so many of these. You know, I saw the interview, same interview you saw with that woman military pilot, and she said, you know, we see them almost every day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so why is that suddenly happening? And as I say, I think the reason is that we as a species stand at a crossroads and they're watching to see how what choices we're going to make and whether we're going to survive. And we may have been lucky that we may have been genetically altered by the good ones. Yes, exactly. I think that's very true. Um, and so... I mean, I was always struck by, when you read these abductee stories, the one constant that you see over and over again is that they were probed in the groin. Now, why in the groin? Why would, why would non-human uh, species be interested in probing people in the groin? I mean, it's just a, such an odd thing. They're interested in our reproductives, that. aren't they? Yes, exactly, that, that that you alter the genetics. You know, we're beginning to do this ourselves, and in fact, that's one of the really powerful trends that I am watching now. You, as you know from our many interviews, I spend a lot of time looking at trends that are shaping the future, and one of the trends that I'm looking at, you don't hear very much about it, is the fact that we are on the verge of creating a second Homo, not homo sapien, homo superior. That is our, our ability using a technology called CRISPR. We are beginning to get the power to manipulate ourselves genetically. And my concern is that only wealthy people will begin to do this because it'll be very expensive. And we will end up creating a second hominid species. And we will suddenly be faced with a world in which there is homo sapien and homo superior. And the superior could be in an instant jump, too, if it's done the right yes. way. Yes, exactly. And it doesn't take, if you know, if it involves gene lining, that is, it gets passed on from generation to generation, you know, then what you get is very quickly you would have a, I mean, you know, if you started with a thousand individuals and each individual had two children, and each of those children had two children. Well, you can see very quickly, you would be into thousands of people. And the question, of course, would be, 
how would Homo superior and Homo sapien get along? And do you think if they saw us going down the wrong path, they'd get involved, or would they just let it happen? Well, of course, I don't know the answer to that in any absolute sense, but if you look at all of the UFO stuff going back as long as people have been keeping track of it, you don't see maliciousness. You don't see aggressive domination uh, activities. What you see is a kind of watching, observing. There's a curiosity uh, there. Leaning in a certain direction, maybe, to try to help. So, yes, I think... Anybody that any civilization, a species that could get to the level of space travel, I think must understand that all life is interconnected and interdependent, and therefore they would be inclined to be supportive of fostering well-being. Now tie this in, Stephen, to consciousness for us, because you believe that the global consciousness has created a favorable climate now to UFO disclosure. Tell me about that. Well, I think that what, again, you know, I'm a data person. I'm an experimentalist. I do experiments. I read other people's experiments. I'm not a philosopher. I'm not a speculator. If you look at the research, George, what you see is we know, for instance, that individuals who have the ability to attain and sustain intention-focused awareness, and again, that's why meditation is so important, because it shows you how to do that, that the consciousness of one individual can have an effect on the well-being of another. And that's why healing is an aspect of virtually every religion across history, across culture. This idea that the consciousness of one individual can affect the well-being of another. We know from the remote viewing research that it's possible to get essentially any information. We also know if you look at people who have become world historical figures because they've had some kind of creative breakthrough or they have become uh, spiritual pilgrims of such notable notability that, that they become historical figures, that over and over they all tell you that, that the experience they had this non-local experience is what gave them their, their scientific insight or gave them their sense of connection with the transcendental. And so I, I you know, I, and there's also research that shows that if you teach children to meditate, not religious meditation, but, but uh, simply using neuroscience, that if you teach children to meditate that in schools, that they, um, it has a terrific effect. There were four schools, for instance, in San Francisco that were the worst schools in the city. And somebody had the good sense to teach the children meditation. And these were kids who almost universally had either seen somebody killed by gunfire, oh, had heard gunfire, knew people that were involved with guns, and, uh, you know, in a malicious way. And who were a lot of, at that high dropout rate, had a lot of problems, a lot of emotional problems. And they taught them to meditate 20 minutes a day. And what happened, it transformed these schools to a point 
when they they stopped the program, the students rebelled and demanded that they start it again. Huh. So if we begin to work with this aspect of consciousness, I think we can achieve extraordinary insights into who we are and what we are capable of. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.